Thank you, Jonathan, for that warm welcome on my return to Great Parks. It's always been a great joy of mine to, uh, to come here and share God's Word with you. And even though sometimes it's a short notice, it's never a chore or a burden. It's always a great delight. I was reminded uh, as I was standing here listening to Jonathan uh, praying for me of that occasion uh, once when uh, the well and highly respected American Bible teacher, Dr. Vance Havner, was preaching to a large convention of people, and uh, he got on the subject of Billy Graham. And he turned to the audience, audience and he simply said this, Billy Graham? I knew Billy Graham when he was a boy. And it just occurred to me that, of course, I knew Jonathan when he was a little boy, when he used to come here with his mum and dad uh, a long time ago. Well, yeah, it is, it is, but to make you feel young, we've only been down here 31 years, so, you know, it's, it's within bounds of understanding. But it's good to be back with you again this morning and um, value your friendship in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm sure that uh, my dear friend Ken Browse will also realize I've got my suit on today. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, not everyone that goes to Upton Vale wears a suit, do they, Ken? That's true. Ken and I were probably some of the best-dressed men there sometimes. <laughs> so anyway, apart from all the fun and the introductions, uh, in your series that you're studying, you're doing uh, these passages from Matthew's Gospel. And the one before us today is found in Matthew chapter 25. It's the parable of the ten virgins. And I know it would be remiss of me if I didn't share the reading with you in full because there may be some people here who are new Christians. Maybe there are some people here who don't know Jesus at all. And so you would need to hear so that you can understand what Jesus is talking about here in this parable. So let's read from verse 1 of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, 
because you do not know the day or the hour. This parable that Jesus used in his teaching is one of 39 uh, parables that he used. But it is unique because it's only found in Matthew's Gospel. However, we need to understand, first of all, I believe, what is a parable? Well, as many preachers have put it, in simple terms, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so you may say, well, I have another question, preacher, for you this morning, and it's this. Well, why did Jesus use parables to speak to people? Well, I mean, it's easy to see that if something is explained to you in everyday terms, you understand it better than reading it in a technical manual that comes along with a product. Uh, As you know, most of us don't like reading booklets that come with TVs and other electrical equipment. We'd rather that someone would sit down and say, well, this is what you do, this is how you set it up, and we watch them do it, and then we've got the hang of it. And one thing that Jesus was always very keen to do in his ministry, as I trust all preachers are today also, is to make it very clear to people what we're trying to tell them about God and his love and his ways. And of course, parables reveal to us human beings the character of the eternal God. The parables explain what he is like, how he works, and what he expects from his followers. So then, why on this occasion here did Jesus choose to use a parable, and this parable in particular? Well, it's because if you go back to chapter 24, you will find Jesus teaching in the temple. He's been teaching there for quite a while. And then he decides it's time to leave and go up to the Mount of Olives, I guess for a rest. Because, you know, because Jesus was human, like us, he needs a rest. And that's why sometimes, um, in the busyness of our life, we forget to take time out just simply to rest. But, you know, rest is a time of recovery. So he had been busy teaching, and so they made their way out of the temple and made their way up to the Mount of Olives. As they were coming out of the temple and passing it, some of Jesus' followers remarked on the marvelous architecture of this building. They said, you know, this this center of our worship in our nation, the temple, what a wonderful building it is. And then the next thing that Jesus said was almost amazing, and as it were, may well have cut them to the heart. He said, well, you know, friends, it may be magnificent looking now, but the time will come when not one stone will be left upon another. Now, these were not little, you know, house bricks in a wall. Some of the stones in the temple were mighty stones. They needed a lot of men and manpower to move them into place. And he's saying that all this stuff is going to be destroyed And there won't be one of these stones left upon another? Come on, man. This is unbelievable stuff. What are you really saying? But you see, Jesus was talking about the end of the world and about the time when he would return 
to take those that put their trust in him home to be with him in heaven. And so realizing there was a problem here, Jesus wanted to make it simple. Just like we find it simple to have something complicated described in a very easy to understand way, Jesus told them this parable. And the purpose of telling them this parable was simply to get them to understand that though he was going away from this world and they would see him physically no more, that there were other things that were going to happen when the world would come to an end. And he wanted his followers and his disciples to really understand the effects that that should have on their life and the lives of others that they met. So he told them the parable of the ten virgins. And uh, there were three things that he highlighted of great and most importance in this parable. And we haven't got time to study it in great depth this morning. Uh, I realize that uh, preachers who become unpopular are the ones, you know, who keep going after the time they were told they should stop. Because there are other things in life in which we're involved. And I have tried, except in Africa, always to try and meet the normal times of finishing of our services. Because in Africa, if you do that, you get told off. Uh, and in one place in particular, uh, where I was preaching in Uganda, um, they actually brought me a snack in the pulpit so that I didn't stop and could keep going. And it was quite a surprise to wonder what this food was that was coming up into the pulpit. Uh, and then sort of the lady that brought it whispered something, and the pastor said, oh, this is just for you to keep going. While you eat it, we'll sing a song, and then if you can continue uh, with the 23rd song. And I thought, well, what's going to happen when tea time comes? And sure enough, they got a plan for tea as well. I put my hand up and I said, I'm sorry, guys. I can't do this today. I've got another appointment tonight, and I have to be there, so I can't stay for tea. Oh, well, will you come back tomorrow? I'm not sure. I'll have to find out. And so we want to try and finish this morning on time, and so we need to be brief. But we need to also understand the importance of what this parable is teaching us. Because remember, the Bible is the word of God. And that's how we learn, and that's how we know more of God, is by reading his word. And so there were three things that Jesus uh, wanted to impress on his followers and his disciples about his coming again and about the end of the world. Now, he had said very clearly to them in John chapter 14, listen, I know when I go away, you are going to be upset. You are going to be beside yourself because you'll say, well, where can we go now when we need help? Where can we go for a miracle? How, how can we cope without Jesus being here? But that's what's going to happen. But I don't want you to be afraid, because although I'm going away, I'm going to send you the Comforter. The Comforter? Yes, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when he, the Spirit of Truth, will come, he will lead you, all of you, individually as well as collectively, he will lead you all into truth. So don't worry. So in John chapter 14, he was telling them this, but twice in that chapter, he verily, very, very clearly says to them, I will come again. 
When I go away, it will be to prepare for you and all who put their trust in me a place in heaven. And when that time comes for God to say, the world will end, I will come and I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I love the actual way that Jesus put this in verse 3. He said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you also may be with me where I am. And then, of course, again, he reinforced what he just said in verse 28 of the same chapter. He said, you heard me say, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. Isn't it wonderful when we hear about someone coming back? Unless it's someone coming to collect money or someone that we don't like, we're always thrilled when our phone rings anyway and we recognize a voice from the past. Sometimes it has been uh, one of our friends from our young days when we were first married. Other times it has been older people who have helped us at some point in life's journey. And they've just told us they're on a coach holiday in Torbay. Can they come and see us? It's been great to have that call from someone who is returning. And that's what Jesus encourages the people by telling them that he is coming back. Now, dear friends, I find it as a preacher so sad in our day and generation that... Um, I go to places and preach on the second coming of Jesus Christ and the mouths all open and afterwards loads of people come from congregations and say, wow, do you know we haven't heard that preached here for years? Well, which saviour have they been following, I wonder? Whose word have they been clinging to? Because, you know, when you think about your faith in Christ as your saviour, what lies at the heart of that faith? The fact that you have been cleansed and born again, yes, of course. But isn't it the fact that one day we are going to see Jesus face to face? One day we are going to be like him? One day when he comes again, it's going to be all over as far as this world is concerned and we are going to be with him forever. Isn't that what lies at the heart? What is it that drives me and the millions of other preachers around the world to go in God's name and be, and be spent for him in preaching the good news? It's because we believe and we know, as the Bible says, that Christ is coming again. As you know here, you enjoy worship. You've got a great worship group. And it's wonderful to be in the midst of a group of Christians worshipping the Lord. And last night before I came, I played a, a, a recording on, on my computer on uh, YouTube about a song that um, I learned when I was m much younger in the faith. Uh, it's a song that's been sung by quartets and groups and choirs and what have you. And it describes in uh, two verses and a chorus that day when Christ comes back to be with his people once again. Let me just thrill you with the way that the writer of this song just simply describes that day when Christ comes again. He says, 
There is coming a day when no more heartache shall come, no more clouds to fill the sky, no more tears to fill the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no more sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. And when I look on his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. That's what Jesus wanted his followers and his hearers to understand. There was going to be in the future a glorious day when he was going to come home to this earth again and take us to be with him. But that wasn't all. He had something else that he wanted to remind them too, and it was this, that no one, including Jesus, knew the time when that day would come. In the parable, you'll remember that uh, the writer comments, the bridegroom was a long time coming. And isn't it true that when things happen like that in real life and things don't happen for a long time, we, we get sort of um, complacent about it, don't we? I mean, I will hold my hands up to you and I will say this because uh, I know that other people know I said it. And that was that when we moved down here to live 31 years, 32 years next Easter, um, I said after being here for a few a uh, few months, and isn't it good that one day we're going to have a bypass, that Newton Abbott is going to be stripped of its power to keep us from our homes when we try to get home at night because of the problems with the traffic. And you all know, you all know what's gone on through the years. And then, you know, I would go on my journeys and I would come to some little places in Dorset on the A35 and I would see a bypass built past a village with perhaps only a few houses. And I would say, hey, well, where's, our, where, where's our bypass? And I've been quoted as saying to many people, you know, I don't ever believe this bypass will be built. And, <laughs> and one evening, in the dark, my lovely wife, Jeannie, she said to me, listen, there's a big crane coming to Newton Abbott tonight. And it's going to lift the first sections of the flyover into place. I think we ought to go and see it, didn't we? And so we drove up and parked in McDonald's. And we watched this big crane. <laughs> and you know what? Nothing was said because my wife is a, a, a lovely lady. Uh, but I knew in my heart I was sort of spitting up teeth. I had to eat my words. We were going to get a bypass. And it would would come and it was there before my very eyes but you see friends the passage of time had taken away the edge of excitement about this thing actually happening and so now of course I can look back to the times when I would ring her 
at the end, the wrong end of the Newton Abbott Strait and say, darling, I'll be home soon. And then an hour and 20 minutes later, I would arrive in Cheston. Where have you been? Have you been to the chip shop? No. Have you seen somebody on the way? No. Was there an accident? No. Well, why has it taken this time? Well, traffic. And of course, today, we know that you can leave here, even at half past four, and still get to Newton Abbott in time to do your shopping before they close. It's that good. It's that great. Although this week, I believe there were a few days when something happened and the queues were back in both lanes. However, time and its passage, and you know this is true, it does tend, it does tend to make us complacent. And I believe that this is the problem with the church today. Instead of being vibrant and telling the world with great excitement that Jesus is coming again, what are we doing? We're all looking inward. We're all on about the persecution. Well, we need to stop talking about persecution if we think we've been persecuted by some of the laws passed recently in our country. (laughs) Some places not all that um, far away are still experiencing awful persecution against Christian belief and faith. We need to understand this morning that the passage of time is really no more than a robber. And it's taking away from us that cutting edge that goes out normally and tells people by the way we live, what we say and what we do about Jesus and his coming again. And so this parable is a very stark reminder to each one of us as individuals that Jesus is coming again. And none of us, and not even Jesus himself, knows when that hour will be. And of course there is another issue on this matter too, isn't there? None of us know when we're going to die. We don't know how much longer we've got to live. Young people, that's something that came home to me so hard in the young days of my ministry. I could cope with taking the funerals of older people. They'd had a good life. They'd lived a long time. They'd been a great blessing to others. That was okay. That was part of life's course. But the ones I found hardest to do was when you stood and committed a young person at their funeral. I found that very hard. I remember finding it the first time when I was simply a pupil in the grammar school. And uh, on two occasions, some of our friends died. And uh, like happened in those days, we, the form concerned of the person who died had to go to the funeral. Some had to be bearers and what have you. And... Uh, It came home to us with such force that we just don't know what a day may bring forth. And as a Christian, and a young Christian, I would ask myself the question, well, hang on, if Jesus comes today, am I ready to meet him? Was there something I should have done today, which I put off until tomorrow? And if I'd done it today, and he had come and claimed me today, then I would be able to meet him and say, Lord, all you gave me to do up to the time you took me home, I did to the best of my ability. But I can't say that now because I've put off from today until tomorrow what I should have done to today. The parable here, my friends, is one of huge challenge. It's a challenge that will not go away because Jesus makes the points that we need to take note of so clear. He is coming. It's certain. 
The Bible says he will come again. And that's good enough for me. But also, we don't know when he's coming. So we need to be prepared. And that's the final thing that Jesus shares with them in this parable. Is the need to be prepared for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I, I am aware that you, you know that this is true. That here in the bay we have a fire brigade. We also have a lifeboat crew. And you will know in the case of the fire brigade that yes... Um, this evening when we're all, as it were, winding down to go to bed, sure, they might be playing snooker or they might be doing something or reading books or whatever. And then when they begin to get uh, tired and, 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 and drowsy, they go and lie on a bed. But you also know that if you were to inspect the fire engine uh, or however they do it in their particular station, their boots are there ready to step into Everything is in place, and as soon as that bell goes, and believe you me, if you ever want to have a wake-up call, hear the bell go in a fire station. It is awesome. As soon as that bell goes, they leap from the bed, or they put down their book, they slide down the pole if they've got one, and the driver is in the cab starting it up, and they are away. And as you know, often you see them dressing on the way to the fire. Similarly with our lifeboat crew. Sometimes you see them in the town and they jump in a car and they put up a little stick and it says lifeboat crew and off they go because somebody is dying and somebody is in need of rescue. In other words, they love the job but they have no idea when that shout will come. And I say to you this morning as Christian people, I say to you as a church of Jesus Christ, no one knows that hour, and so therefore we need to be ready at any time to answer the call. Because who knows when the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet him in the air. Well, my friend, that day could be upon us, could be upon us before we realize. You see, it is so easy to forget the urgency of the task before us, and that is to win men and women for Christ. I guess I've told you this here in this place before, um, and if I have, well, I make no apology for telling you this again. But when we moved into Shire Close 31 years ago, um, a man, a retired Baptist minister, came around all the doors in that uh, Bovis Homes Development. And he spoke to everyone. And when he came to our door, it was a joy to see him and meet him. But when he went away, God clearly said to Jeannie and I, now, this man is doing what I've called him to do. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to, to pray for the people in this close. Because as f there are people in this close that do not know that Jesus loves them. And you know, that's what we started to do 31 years ago. And can I tell you this? That as the years have gone by, nothing changed in the close. No people, as far as we know, went to church apart from 
a funeral which they had to attend. And so nothing happened, and the years began to mount up, five years, ten years, and so on. But in the last few years, amazing things, spiritually speaking, are happening where we live. And um, just simply to say to you that one of the people that we uh, one of the people that we have been praying for turned up last week at a church away from here where I was preaching, and the world would have said, "Well, you can't be serious. What is she doing here?" But then I discovered that there's no need to ask questions. Our prayers of the last 30 years, God is finally bringing to fruition. And I believe that this lady is not far from the kingdom of God. And in the progress of praying for her, God has done other things like a network along the way. And there are other people uh, that God has used. And there are other issues that God has brought to our attention and so on and so forth. And we're just waiting for that day when someone else in our clothes is going to knock the door. Or probably, more like it today, to pick the phone up if they know the number. And say, can we, can we come and talk to you? We're concerned about having no spiritual life. About, about no hope in our souls. I know one person who's now gone on into eternity came and said to me one day, Oh, we know you're a Christian. Uh, do you? Well, just for my interest, how do you know I'm a Christian? She said, well, when you go off on Sunday morning, we see you praying in your car before you go. So we guess you're going to church. I said, yes, you're right. And in fact, more than that, I'm going to preach. Yes, I told my husband, that man is a Christian. Because... And you know, this morning, before I came here, folks, I, I didn't do it for a show. I looked around, in fact, to make sure there's nobody looking, in case they thought I was like the Pharisees, you know, look at me. And when I realized there's nobody looking, or I believe there wasn't, I quietly prayed. And I said, Lord, it's a short journey today to Great Parks. Not far, just a bit of roadworks in between. What do I do? Do I go through them or do I go around and God clearly said, go through them, they're empty today. And I came through, and I thought, isn't that wonderful that somebody just watched me pray? Didn't hear what I said, but that was enough to tell them there was a God who loved them, a God who cares for them, a God who one day in Christ is coming back to take all those who put their trust in him to be with him forever. Just before this parable, in Matthew chapter 24, you remember Jesus spoke very briefly. He spoke about um, a man who went away on a journey and left his servant in charge of his other servants. And when Jesus was speaking about this incident, he turned around to his hearers and he simply said this in verse 45 of Matthew 24. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time, it will be good. It will be good for that servant whose master 
finds him doing so when he returns. I believe those words are also for us and for every Christian believer today. God is saying to us that as we wait for Christ's return, it will be good for us while we wait that when he comes, he will find us so doing when he returns. Friends, don't become complacent and spiritually asleep. There are still many souls out here around us that need to know that God loves them. And so in our activities to become ready to meet with Jesus, let's remember what he taught us in this parable, that he is coming again, that no one knows when it will be, and that we must start preparing now so that we are ready when he comes. Because he could come today. And maybe that would be sooner than you think. We're going to close our service this morning.